This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's a... called My Old Man. Here's McGinn. Then they're coming back for more. Away by Ward. Back by Howrahan. Trezeguet! It's there again! The Premier League lifeline has been offered to Aston Villa. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, your host. Joining me for a bit of a different uh, podcast this time because uh, Aston Villa actually won a game. Hurrah! Mr. Dan Rogers from the thevillaunderground.com. Yes, it's a survival special. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Chris Bird, welcome. Hello. Well, I think the last time we did a podcast on the back of an Aston Villa win, I mean, there's a lot's happened since. There's been a cup final at Wembley. There's been a global pandemic. There's been an economic crisis. Titanic sank. Uh, riots, looting. Two world wars, race race riots, all kinds of stuff that's happened. And here we are, bookending it with a 2-0 win over Crystal Palace. The glory days truly <laughs> are back. They are. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a violent relegation. <laughs> I was about to say the adventure's about to begin, but... I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Could go any which way. Anyway, welcome. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the My Old Man Said podcast. I think it's Egypt's favourite Aston Villa podcast. Mm-hmm. Coming up in the show, we will uh, obviously get into uh, what's been happening last we spoke. Uh, there was a defeat by Manchester United, but that's uh, ancient history. We are now a winning team, and we will discuss that uh, fantastic 2-0 win against... Uh, it was one of those old Egyptian gods just kind of rose from the dead and <laughs> banished, <laughs> banished the plagues of defeats. Yeah, Trezeguet's villa had been mummified until that point. 
Oh, dear. Uh, we could go on with that one, actually. Yeah. We'll get into uh, that and how that uh, impacts uh, Aston Villa's survival potential. <laughs> if there is still there is still a pulse, there's a pulse, and that's all we all we could dream for at uh, mm. this stage, mm. especially with every other fucker in the relegation zone winning as well. We'll also look at uh, what else has been happening in the world of football. Manchester City using their get-out-of-jail money or get-out-of-financial-fair-play money. I think uh, WH Smith ran out of brown paper envelopes there uh, after they managed to wangle their way out of that. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, another club uh, sinks into administration... We'll also look at what's ahead for Premier League coverage in terms of next season. If It may not be relevant, folks. It may not be relevant, but hopefully so. And uh, also we'll look at what's been happening uh, around the Villa Park. Right, let's uh, let's kick off the show. Actually, let's get into those uh, Villa issues. Uh, first of all, bizarre, bizarre stats. I think it took 17 attempts to pull this off, uh, winning on a Sunday. But uh, this season, it just happens to be the only day of the week we actually hadn't won in yet. So Villa's win makes them the first ever Premier League side since football was invented in 92, straight 93. Mm. The only ever Premier League team to win on every day of the week, which is quite a considerable achievement considering they've only won eight times this year (laughs) or this season. That's a very, very trivial uh, wooden spoon, isn't it? Yeah, amazing how you can spread those eight wins over seven different uh, days of the week. And as I said, they'd failed, I think, in their previous 17 attempts to win on a Sunday, mainly because we're always... Our games against Liverpool, Manchester United, mm. any you know anybody decent are normally put to the Sunday. It's now being referred to as the Craig David Cup. Yeah, I think that's Premier League games because we normally played the Blues on uh, Sunday, didn't we, and beat them uh, no problem. Yeah. Uh, this is the last top-tier team, uh, before the first division was renamed, was Spurs in 86. I think they're the only team to do it. If the further you go back in time, then it's more traditional uh, days, as in uh, 3 o'clock Saturday, and you know football hasn't been uh, spread across the week. Anyway, congratulations to everybody involved in the club. It's uh, just fantastic to be supporting the club at this time. When the break in such records. <laughs> uh, I said that with a straight face as well. Yeah, Amazing. It's good. It's good. Uh, just quickly uh, before the game, uh, Wilfred Sahar tweeted and put up on social media his uh, probably the latest uh, racism that's uh, been sent his way when uh, the handle. The address that sent the offending material contained AVFC, uh, hence why he uh, got it out there. Before anybody has the sense to find out who it is, uh, cue outrage. Cue the usual uh, virtue signalling mm-hmm. and... I mean, we all know racism's uh, bad, but there's a lot of posturing that goes on. Racism is committed every day to people in this country, you know, whether they're taxi drivers, uh, shop owners... But uh, in this uh, situation, this is where suddenly people are uh, offended when it's uh, connected to uh, social media. But a lot of it is actual posturing because nobody really seems to be doing anything about it. I mean, for example, the Villa Trust puts out the obligatory uh, reaction to anything that happens. Uh, I mean, quoting, we'll work with the authorities to identify this vile individual. What exactly did they do? Nothing. It's just posturing. Likewise, national journalists stating that this person, whoever it is, should be sacked from their job, sentenced, banned for life. And 
the circle continues because uh, the same thing happens again. Football clubs across the board uh, seem to, uh, you know, they, they'll take it to court. Uh, courts will give football banning orders, which were essentially designed to prevent disorder and aren't punishment for discrimination. I mean, there really should be mandatory education orders. This is simply uh, brushing it under the, the rug or brushing it out into society, which... Uh, clubs claim to be uh, part of so they should be tackling at their doorstep you know if it is a uh, football related uh, concern and you know the, the path of education is the only way to tackle this yeah especially with young people i mean ultimately there's there's only one way that uh, racism will be solved and that's probably uh, by the extinction of the human race it's a bit of a uh, an uphill battle but uh, education is you know the only way to go and uh, many black players have actually emphasized that mm-hmm. and this is something uh, some clubs are slowly, you know, thinking more about. Uh, I know uh, the West Midlands Police have actually started to, uh, even the last couple of seasons, uh, tread more of an educational uh, path to get any type of uh, offenders uh, connected to Villa Park on a, uh, you know, educational track in terms of. Uh, getting these people to question why you know they do i mean in this case why they have uh, created a racist act or if it's singing songs that are you know racial tropes and racial stereotypes why they are doing that because sometimes you know that people are are ignorant to uh, why it is offensive so you know you can just ban them ban them ban them ban them but uh, nothing is cured ultimately and uh, you know it's best to have that conversation why and this is what you should ask straight away why and uh, you know social media it's, it just needs jerks without even finding out who actually said it and hey ho it's a 12 year old boy so how are you going to sack him from his job how are you going to uh, you know sentence him mm-hmm. you know if it makes you feel good that you're shouting that you're banning him or they should be punished then uh, you know all very good but it doesn't actually uh, help black players in the long run so uh, there should be more of a consideration and you know instead of posturing think what can you do to actually do you know something about this because uh, all these people posturing online uh, in the name of Aston Villa I don't see them around the table when I'm meeting uh, kick it out and West Midlands police and talking about racism and talking about potential paths to actually tackle it in the football context so you know the more people are giving uh, thought to uh, how this can be addressed and how we can move forward the better i mean i go by the mantra people who do do people who don't like to talk or tweet Mm. i mean i could go on uh, but let's leave it there for now Mr. Yedinak's been knocking around Bodymore, hasn't he? Uh, he's announced his retirement. It's, it's another one of these things where players that in your mind have already retired <laughs> announce, announce their retirement yeah. a year later and everybody's going, oh, he's retired. Oh, here's a podcast we did about him. Oh, here's, here's some articles I did about him. Well, he's retired fucking ages ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> or couldn't find a club. Or no, I won't club. have it. It's not true. How many times did Gabby retire? About four? He is definitely definitely retired. We have checked. It's kind of a yearly occurrence, <laughs> wasn't it? I think. Yeah. So anyway, so Yedinak has retired, but uh, has he finished his coaching badges? He's still doing them, isn't he? So he's at Bodymore. Um, is it? He's with Boateng in the academy. Yeah, right. I think he's been doing a lot of the younger age group teams, hasn't he? And they're sort of mm. just you know letting him earn his stripes with the, you know the 
the under under twelves, thirteens, and he'll work his way up slowly but surely. I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it's quite interesting because you know from people I know at the club, they always painted him as a bit of a, an aloof figure. Mm. So I'm surprised that he's you know diving headfirst into coaching and he's still hanging around Villa. I thought he would be uh, mm. off ski uh, pretty swiftly there. To, to be fair to him though, you look at it, you, you do forget his uh, his charge sheet's pretty good. That you know three World Cups, almost eighty caps, most of them as captain. I thought he had deceptively quite a positive impact on Villa, you know. And by all accounts, he's a really good professional, wasn't he, as well? Mm. Well, no, I'm telling you my accounts say he was a bit <laughs> a bit aloof and uh, kind of wasn't one of the lads, so to speak, and I thought he would be uh, getting out of there. But anyway, what do I know? At the moment, the focus at Villa, um, in terms of news, is all about the games, I think. For example, like kit launch, I think they're waiting for the uh, the right moment now. If you start, if they string a couple of more wins together, I think that kit will be uh, appearing all of a sudden. Ooh. If if we get relegated, I think it would be like let's put it off a few weeks. Oh, Luke, we're on, uh, what are you doing, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> In other news, here's the three points. First point: uh, Manchester City. Surprise, surprise, have had their uh, Champions League expulsion overturned. I knew they would get out of it. I what mean, what a money, shock. Money talks at the end of the day. What a shock. And on a technicality as well. <laughs> yeah. What, what was that technicality? Well, it was uh, they were out of time for, um, there's a five-year, uh, what do they refer to it as, a, a five-year um, time bar period, basically, and so that the, the alleged breaches of the, of, the, of the FFP rules took place outside of that. Didn't they also say something about uh, some of the emails of evidence were illegally obtained, so that makes they, uh, them not usable? Questioning how, how those were obtained, obviously hacking and press is a is a hot potato. It sounds like you pay a bunch of money to some very good lawyers and they, they find all the technicalities to get you off the charge mm. sheet. It also seems as well what, what the appetite was of UEFA and, and FIFA ultimately, I suppose, to find themselves embroiled in a long, increasingly expensive uh, legal battle with against someone with um, uh, bottomless wealth. Uh, yeah. You know, not- I mean, my favourite one through this process has been Simon Cliff, who's uh, City's in-house counsel. Um, his email was leaked about thoughts that the uh, the chairman, Al Mur- uh, Mur- Mubarak, would rather spend thirty million on the fifty best lawyers in the world to sue UEFA for the next ten years. It kind of also, I mean, that's I, I sort of jokingly mentioned that, but it does show the position we're in now that actually some clubs, because of this sovereign wealth they have mm. and the sheer weight they carry in mm. their prospective country, they are now more powerful than UEFA. And yeah, they're above the law. They're, they're above the law, and I think that the, the, it's an interesting thing for any football fan who's interested in finance. And we'll talk about Wigan briefly in a minute. But it's always interesting me with the, the Etihad connection with Etihad Airways, which is a, an airline that's never posted a, a profit. It's got four point eight billion dollars of, of debt on the balance sheet, and yet was sponsoring the club significantly. Even you know, it's um, well. I mean, maybe we could take some take some of this on board when, when if and as and when we get relegated, maybe we could just pump loads of money and hope nothing happens for five years. Yeah, uh, mentioning Wigan, point number two, uh, the crisis clubs and. There was an there's an expectation of a tsunami of crisis clubs due to uh, the COVID situation. Yeah, I, th- and I think this is the first of the next wave, isn't it? Yeah, because mm. uh, the lower leagues who rely on gate receipts are, are severely compromised and could be potentially crippled by uh, what's ahead. But it's one that definitely falls into this uh, another category where this fit and proper test is is laughable. Really, that you've got a comedy transaction almost of, of ownership and sale a the EFL CEO gets doorstepped with a hidden camera and, and makes some um, interesting allegations around betting 
and uh, possible relegation for Wigan. It's all it's all very murky, but but not new either. That's the thing that people. There's been a few stories around this this you know this uh, almost like yeah. Hollywood style story, but it's the, the facts of it. You could change to any number of clubs and just move around the topic. I think far you know far eastern betting companies, dubious foreign owners who no one can audit. Yeah, let's give them a football. We've, club. we've all been there. We've all <laughs> been there. <laughs> but yeah, so you feel so, a little bit sorry for Wigan mm, because absolutely. I mean. All, Wigan always a good away day, but uh, mm-hmm. also, you know, it's not that long ago where they've got Martinez as their manager. They've won an FA Cup despite being relegated. They actually, you know, had time in the uh, Premier League, had the best time of their, their history, I, I yeah. would uh, venture. And then suddenly, uh, a few years later, it, it comes crashing down in, in you know, terrible fashion. Yeah, it's, it's a really strange one, this one, because I know Rick Parry had mentioned it as well, but normally when a club is in this kind of trouble, and it gets to the point of you know the twelve point deductions and have, you know, the formal process of going into administration. You'll get all the indicators, won't you? You'll see like the profit and losses. You'll see them just hemorrhaging money. Um, you know, you're probably there's no there's normally issues with like HMRC, you know, and outstanding payments um, mm-hmm. or players not being paid or creditors and all that sort of stuff. The new owners apparently had come in and pumped about forty million. Mm-hmm. Into the club, and all of a sudden, was it her four weeks later? Had, yep. had claimed COVID had wiped them out. And you think, well, hang mm-hmm. on a minute. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, that holding company's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and that holding company's share price had skyrocketed on the day they bought Wigan. Watch Villa's uh, share price, people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Watch it closely. Right, point number three uh, Premier League fans won't be able to watch all the games on TV next season like we're doing at the moment, despite it being unlikely that uh, they'll be allowed in the stadiums, uh, especially at the start of uh, next season, at least the first few months. I mean, uh, we mentioned on the show before, I had a, a conference with uh, through the Football Supports Association with the Premier League to talk about uh, stage five of Project Restart. Actually, we've been drafting, uh, I've been part of a, a team a network group uh, drafting up uh, a charter to get the Premier League to back to then take to clubs essential principles for how you're going to get fans back into stadiums and you know to give them some kind of protocol of reassurances that we would like to see. So it's going to go back to the normal uh, quota of games, is it not? Yeah, apparently so. And it obviously gets spread between Sky, BT and Amazon. I'd be um, astonished if between the major broadcasters and, and the Premier League they don't find a way of monetizing every single game. Yeah, because I thought yeah, this, I, I thought they would take advantage well. of this COVID as a transition to uh, you know what you have in, for example, the NFL and other you know American sports in terms of st- just streaming all the games. And uh, they've got that great thing in the NFL. What's it called? Where they, you can basically it's called like you can see all of the games through yeah, one game zone. Game yeah. zone. I've always thought or that was pretty pass. cool. Now, Amazon, Amazon sort of tried to mini replicate it. At Christmas time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only problem is you've got, uh, they're going to have to work out some kind of pyramid payments to go to the uh, lower, especially the lower two tiers, because mm. suddenly they haven't got any fans going in. Yeah. And uh, everybody else is spreading, you know, if they're doing every Premier League game is being screened and they're getting money for that, then, uh, you know, they're seriously fucked. And when they get the fans back, they might not come back in numbers. I mean, I don't know. Why are we talking about it? We're going to be in the championship. I mean, what's the- <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't even be able. To, we won't even be able to watch the highlights. <laughs> we'll be going. What? What? What's Quest? Where's Quest? I mean, back what it really does is it just <laughs> it, it lines up the the question of how on earth are fans in the championship going to watch their team if they can't go to the stadium? Are the clubs going to have to say, "Well, mm. we're going to have to come with a well"? No, you know, the championship did the I follow. They do the I follow. Mm. 
That's what they did. You surely remember when we were in the championship. Nope, never happened. <laughs> but no, I mean, they'll, they'll do the iFollow model, but I don't know how much of a pickup that was. But uh, mm. you've got to look under the bonnet and how this actually potentially pans out. What does it mean? How do people become educated in mm. terms of their ha- habits? Mm. And, uh, you know, they'll be taken advantage of if there's money and to also, be made And also, I think, uh, finally, possibly somewhat arrogantly, but if Villa do find themselves in the championship and you don't have, in reality, you won't have a Leeds there, Villa become, by an absolute country mile, the biggest fish in terms of in-stadium audience and the viewing figures. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of a sudden you're, you're in the process of like what like Barca and Real do in Spain where you're thinking, why the fuck are we not just negotiating our own TV deal yeah. for just us? Yeah. Because we are the TV audience. Yeah, although uh, that, that's, I mean, that's one thing uh, that could happen. But you think, oh, we're, I mean, uh, I'm sure if it's the same crowd in uh, for another season in the championship, they'll, be, they'll think they'll be up in one season. But if the worst comes to happen, I think after the first season, you probably go, yeah, we'll go with whatever. And then after that, if you, it looks like you're going to be there down for a while, you start mm. to negotiate yeah. your TV contract. Right, anyway, let's uh, get on. Right, before we move on, I just want to say a massive thank you for the My Old Man Said patrons who keep this operation going. And uh, thank you very much for everybody in Match Club, uh, especially the uh, the post-Manchester United game where we went on until uh, half, well, coming up to half one in the morning. So thank you for everybody for sticking around there. If you want to join uh, Match Club, it's a little benefit you get uh, when you become a patron. And uh, actually, it's been very good fun. It's 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 just 24 hours access to uh, everybody involved here. And uh, on the day of the game, we have a we have a bit of a, a knees up and, a, and hang out uh, while the game is on before, after and at halftime, we all have a big chat. And uh, that's as much as I can tell you, because the first rule is you're not allowed to actually talk about it. But uh, anyway, thank you very much. Uh, people, of course, Called it uh, therapy. It's as good as therapy, and it's uh, way, way, way cheaper than uh, actual therapy <laughs> as well, and way better uh, than Twitter. Yeah, mm. thank you very much uh, this week to Bill Long. Tudor Richards, Leif Jonas Omland, hopefully I pronounced that right, and a big, big thank you for Mr. Netminder himself, Scooter Thomas, uh, for upgrading his pledge as well, and uh, we look forward to speaking to Scooter as usual uh, during the Everton game. Hopefully the, uh, yeah, the time difference will work out there, uh, no problem for our friends in the United States of America. Uh, also, uh, if you just want to, if you like the cut of our jib, you can uh, give us a uh, one-off tip, uh, as it says at the start of the show. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, I'll either put it on the website or it's actually on the ACAST show notes. So you can just click on there and uh, just tip us whatever you want. And I'll make sure these guys get uh, a coffee or a beer. It depends how much you tip. A bottle of wine, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Right, before, uh, we, we didn't do a show after United, we didn't even do a reaction show because we were in match club to half one in the morning. In shock, away. in therapy. I was telling all kinds of anecdotes from uh, previous yeah, it, lives. It went from depressing to the ludicrous to the sublime it was to late the night downright libel. comical. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was late night libel, as Dan says. We, we were going to start a new podcast called uh, Late Night Libel. Yeah. And with the tagline, you can't sue us after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's another story. Become a patron. Check out Match Club. It's awesome. Right. Uh, so Manchester United. Hmm. That was, uh, I mean, I, I'd gone into these two games against Liverpool and Manchester United saying, I think we need something from these because uh, 
we're going to be cast adrift because the other teams were picking up points and I was I didn't really want to see the table after that and of course when Manchester United kind of beat us and we were pretty spineless and you've got to remember mm. like, Southampton got a draw out of United we did we, earlier in the season yeah admittedly uh, I mean admittedly United are a different team to when we played them but Southampton uh, you know they're there to be taken it's, it's that frustrating thing where Villa get rolled over and everybody's shrugging their shoulders going oh yeah but they're a much better team it's like you know the Chelsea situation and then like a few days later West Ham beat them 3-2 mm-hmm. and who, who hammered Chelsea Sheffield United hammered mm-hmm. them you know we were as good as Sheffield United and should have beaten Sheffield United so you just if you turn up on the day you can beat any team at this moment in time with this behind closed doors situation so that was what was worrying us uh, when we saw them kind of limply give up against United after the uh, the VAR decision or the penalty was given and pretty dejected after that uh, I mean we had a good time in match club but uh, in terms of Villa's fates and what we thought we thought well it's pretty much game over isn't it we're gonna have to start winning games super fast and mm. we got to Palace and, and I hate the phrase must win, but it, it, it is a case of must win. And Dean Smith talked about, and I couldn't really work out the analogy that it was using. He said, oh yeah, we called this like uh, the first of uh, a leg of a semi-final. And then if we win that, then the second leg's at Everton. And then if we win that, then we got two legs in the final. And it didn't really make much sense really. And, you know, I came up with the analogy, well, it's like knockout football now. You've got to keep winning. And, you I've said after this game, now we have to beat Everton. If we beat Everton, that's the quarterfinal. Then we're into the semi, still alive. Beat Arsenal, that's the semi. Then we're in the final. It was the reverse of the... Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't understand that two-legged thing he, he was talking about. Because, you know, if you win the first leg 2-0, then you draw the second leg, then you go through. But in this case, if we draw against Everton, I think we're in shit. Yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to win every single game. I think we've just got to keep winning. Because Bournemouth have popped up and that changes the, the dynamic of the situation. So Villa, given the context of Palace, uh, still on a uh, 10 games without a win, mm. not looking good. It was certainly a must win. And we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the formation and everything uh, as, we, as we discuss the actual game. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But that VAR decision changed everything, I think, when it came off Sacco's shoulder. And I think that was probably a pivotal moment at this stage of our relegation battle. It's funny how in the space of a few days that you go from having a what I consider to be a really poor, it was a poor decision that went against us against Manchester United and the vitriol that came with it. To, and we're all quite happily including the management team at Villa to brush, brush the Palace one because actually we went when when the when the VAR decision went for us against Palace it was it was the opposite of of the United game really that we it, yeah. we, you know, it, was, it would have been such a poor goal to concede um, if if you look at it and we were really fortunate but because it was it, it took a while because I thought it was a goal and you oh. know I, I, I got up and strolled into another room <laughs> well I said to you I said to you that I'd, I'd stormed off in angry vitriol I'm going to have an angry wee and uh, fully expecting <laughs> us to be two or three down by the time I got back and so to arrive back in the game was nil nil was I'd like I'd stepped into some portal to a parallel villa universe villaverse I started writing a <laughs> tweet sorry saying keystone cops defending (laughs) (laughs) and then it was wiped off and i was like well it was keystone cops defending anyway but well everyone had the same uh, because i mean i think uh, throughout the first half i was i was losing my mind with um the mummified trezeguet and and he turns out to be pele by the end of it um (laughs) (laughs) i think this was obviously happening on twitter as well but Mm. in match club uh, we we were like messaging, and let's say he was targeted. He it was dreadful <laughs> until the forty fifth, forty ninth minute. You know, uh, I, I mean, in a nutshell, the Palace game it was all the things that we struggled with. I think you know, Samata for me was still isolated. We still had some mistakes in us, but Palace arrived off the back of four defeats. I think that they they looked very ropey. I think Benteke looked like nothing like the footballer yeah. that I remember. And you think you you think of all the attributes that not even the cliched ones of like the physical power. Or, you know, he was a a great holding striker who could score a goal and carry a team on his own. I saw nothing. I mean, they've got threats on paper, mm. and you know, on their day, they they can give anybody a game, and and they did look dangerous. But without Brief, really yeah, uh, yeah. end product, mm, mm, they didn't really build up any. I mean, I've said it about us a lot of times that they didn't build up any head of steam. But I, I think that VAR decision took the, mm. took that potential head of steam out of them. No, I agree. I agree. It was one of those moments where if it goes against you, you think, "Oh, this is another one of those days." And I think it's just one of those little, you know, crossroads moments, as it were, in the match, where if it goes your way, you think, "Oh, maybe today's our day." Mm. Nobody's mentioned it though, have they? We talk about the Grealish uh, dive, and uh, <laughs> but we've forgotten about and that. I think this was the key moment of the game, certainly mentally for the players. You know, to, to go in a goal behind at half time would have been a very difficult position to come back from. Yeah, we just know they can't come back. <laughs> well, did you did you see the reaction of Smith when we? Th- I think everyone thought the goal. It, it was a resigned. Uh, the inevitable is happening. Uh, kind of look and I think that the- yeah it was the look of a man who was sort of thinking to himself what have we been talking about on the training yeah. ground all week yeah 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 yeah. because yeah. Samata was this this was the moment that he ducks under the ball mm. he steps over in the second half as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll get on to him uh, yeah. in, a, in yeah. a minute yeah it was it was a bloody awful goal and yeah. you know luckily they, they got away with it and thankfully you know grew into the game mm. so what what do you think was different about this game than other performances in terms of uh, what Smith was trying to do or do you just think we just played a lackluster opponent this time that you know after they had that VAR decision against them weren't up for it I think a few things there one I think the 
Watford result against Newcastle the day before, of course, put a, a seven-point gap. And I think mm. the intensity because of that was always going to be higher. Yeah. Because rather than from a you know a point of view with, of we could do with a win, it was now we have to win this game. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I think if you if it becomes a seven-point gap and you level on matches, I don't think you pull that back. And what we didn't know at that stage was Bournemouth would go on to win as well. Yeah. Well, that underlines it, though, doesn't it? Yeah. I Secondly, think- I think certainly towards the team that finished the game, the the little injury to Courtney Hawes in the warm-up mm. actually probably worked in our favour. I think the back four looked more balanced with a right-footed centre-back alongside Mings. And I thought El Mohamedi came in and was composed and had a thoroughly good game. He was actually my man of the match, even though I'd imagine Trezeguet got all the plaudits for the goals. Yeah. Um, and towards the end of the game, you saw, as we'd said you know, last summer before you know, going into the Premier League, the difference it would make if you actually had half decent fullbacks. Mm. You know, you had Target came on for Taylor after about half an hour, I think it was. That worked in our favour. No, no, nothing against Taylor, but it just uh, it transformed. All of a sudden, because they were a mm. slightly more inferior team and they didn't clearly have much confidence, you could see when we grew into belief, both fullbacks thought, you know what, we can get on here. All of a sudden, when you've got the, the, the two fullbacks bombing on as well a little bit, well, certainly when one goes, one stays. But when, you know, you add an extra man, you know, and they all of a sudden it makes the pitch bigger. It makes it, it, makes it wider. You can mm. push the likes of McGeehan or Horahan or even a Louise or certainly Grealish. You can push them into space. You can play through a team. Because Target's one of our only players who actually makes hard runs, uh, a phrase that I've adopted And now. his delivery's brilliant. I'm sure I read that he's, <laughs> he's, got, he's, got, the, um, he's got the third <laughs> highest rating in the league for like key crosses. Mm. So he, when he actually commits into the final third, he does deliver. Yeah, and he's one of the, the rare Villa players who actually gets down the byline and tries to get behind their full backs. And he, yeah, and him and, the, him and, him and Elmo line. weren't afraid, yeah. even when they were at the three quarters, to go, well, we're not going to get to the byline, but we will get it in the box. You know, I think Samata had a header early on, didn't he, from a great cross and should have hit the target. Mm. And I think there was a great move where Grealish got in and had a side-footed volley that got palmed away. And there were signs that, you could see them just growing in a little bit of belief, and we had I think they realised that the Palace didn't. Yeah, Palace didn't necessarily have the the obvious tools to completely control the game, and I think Villa realised that they were there for the taking at the back because Grealish was playing more on the left uh, this time. And I mean, one of the things it's almost like. Um He's forgotten about what Smith was telling him uh, last season, which uh, enhanced his game, was get in the box, make yeah. those runs, come yeah. off from, you know, when it's on the right-hand side, come in from the left-hand side, mm-hmm. get on the back stick. And, you know, remember that goal against the Blues where he mm-hmm. came in? Mm-hmm. And that was the, you know, that was what Smith was saying after that game. It was like, you know, I've had words of him. He's got to get in the box. He's got to uh, make hard runs. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you think, well, this should be innate to him, but he does seem to gravitate to picking it up deep. I think he's had to do that, though, this season. That you know, One of our biggest criticisms and something that's picked up by a lot of the, the national press is he, he often picks it up out, out wide as well. So he'd be quite deep and out wide. And he's got that's a lot of lot of ground to make up when you're the focal point of a, a, of a team's attack as well. And the, the difference, I would say, against Palace, and though they were lacklustre, the opposition, for the first time, he, he preoccupied the opposition again, I thought. Whereas yeah. our actual threat was Al Mohamedi from the right and Huraham with a left-footed ball, um, obviously from the left-hand side. And I, f- for the first time as well, in a, I, I can't think of many games other than maybe late on at Newcastle. Luis w- was was therefore free to 
to play a ball right or left. He didn't have to carry and release and look for it. Look for Grealish, essentially. You know, you did have Huraham breaking. Al Mohamedi's natural um, preference is, he, you know, he's not. He, he, he's never been a right back. He was actually a, he's a right midfielder. So, you know, he knows the spaces to get into and he put two great balls in. I mean, Huraham put any number of balls in of mixed quality sometimes. But yeah. his instinct is towards the ball and that's why we bought him from, uh, it was Barnsley, wasn't it? You know, he wasn't wasn't bought as a holding central midfield. He was, his, his instinct was to get into dangerous places, either to release a shot or to get a free kick in a dangerous position. And finally, we started to exploit it. Yeah, we were we were asking questions, which we haven't been doing for, a, for mm. a, well, since mm. the restart. Mm. So that, that uh, was really positive. Let's look at the... Let's look at Mr. Samata. He, mm. he looked lost at times. And uh, I mentioned the stat before the game, which has now got a bit worse, obviously, mm. from the minutes he played. He has two goals to his name, yeah. but he's played a total of 889 minutes of football. And in that time, he's had three shots on target, which uh, mm. is an average of, so it's one shot every 296 minutes, one shot on target every 296 minutes. So what's that? You have to wait three games until he has a shot on target. You can't do that. I, I don't know what to say. Um, I, I think it shows that you've, you've got strikers who aren't getting into positions where they should be scoring goals. The fact mm-hmm. that El Ghazi, Grealish, Trezeguet seem to be the guys getting goals. A couple of things compound the striker at the moment. I think he, he doesn't look great on confidence. And I think that we saw that in the second half where the ball goes through two Villa players. I think the other one might have, might have been Trezeguet, actually. But incredibly isolated at the same time. With that said, when you do get your chance, and I'm thinking of the the Al Mohamedi cross in the first half, it it's not a clever header over the bar either. You know that even you've got to be hitting the target, if not really testing the goalkeeper. And that's the difference in the Premier League. That's a very cliched thing to say. He's not going to get many chances, you know, in in the Premier League. But when you look at uh, Keenan Davis, uh, I mean, he's played 727 minutes. He's mm. had eight shots. That works out about I think it's 90.8 minutes for every shot on target. Which you know, <sighs> it's it's uh, it's not that bad. It's not good enough. That's the point when you're you, making. Yeah, when you're considering mm. he's more of a kind of a hold-up type of chap. To give you some context, if like Mane, for example, is uh, around like 76 minutes and uh, Salah's uh, 48 minutes every, uh, you know, one one shot on target per that. So I think as long as you're in the 90 minutes, you, it, it suggests statistically that, you you know, you are a threat mm. during a game. But when you... But <laughs> when you within 90 minutes, yeah, I suppose it would. <laughs> when when you are going like three games without a shot on target, yeah. it's uh, it's kind of that's that's not a striker, and mm-hmm. and we saw he you know he's cutting a frustrated figure, but then you know when he's defending, he ducks out of a header, and one of the things that your striker should always be able to do is defend set pieces mm-hmm. in his own box, and I, I was a bit concerned by that because he's meant to be good in the air. There's, that's the thing with with Davis, you know, as much as Davis, I don't think, and, we, and we've all said it on numerous occasions, he clearly isn't an out-and-out goal scorer. But in terms of his overall work rate, willingness to chase and harry mm. and get in the game and fight for the ball and hold it up and generally be a good teammate, as Smith mm. calls it, you can't fault that side of his game. No. You know, he will we, we were calling for him to come on, weren't we? Because we knew he could bully that Palace back and, he, and, and And did. And occupy them. Yeah, the thing with him is, unlike Samata, when the ball goes up to him, it sticks, especially when it's into feet. He's got really good feet for quite a big lad. 
Um, and he can drive at the opposition, you know, and he actually turns and runs at them. You know, he's, he's, he is a threat. I think he's, he's definitely a weapon that can be used by Smith, but I think he, he views Samata as the goal scorer. You know, we were talking about this in Match Club when I said I would start Samata against Everton. Mm. Yeah. Because I think he needs a bit of a, he needs a run. And he needs to find out where he fits into this because we're banking on him coming good, I think, to survive. I think he's going to have to score. You know, he's going to have to contribute, shall he's we say. To. I mean, just yeah. to, just before we move on, uh, Wesley averaged a, a shot on target every 95 minutes. I mean, you can explain that because he was playing coming deep a hell of a lot of time. And that's what, you know, he was frustrating as Villa fans that we, he was getting frustrating mm. to watch because mm. he was coming too deep and he wasn't a threat and he wasn't questioning, you know, giving him questions or testing the keeper. So Samata's like in another ballpark. And, you know, if I was a journalist going to the uh, press conferences, I would run that stat by Smith and say, look, Samata is averaging a shot on target every 296 minutes, you know, can you explain that? Put him on the spot and then he would tell you hopefully what his thinking is with the player. I mean, in, in some, the only thing I'd say in Samata's defence is it isn't like he's been massively wasteful in front of goal. He's been getting one chance in a game or one half chance in a game and then he doesn't get a, he doesn't get a look in. He isn't yeah, like no, Abraham yeah. who'd be missing two or three. Same, we, we said the same about Wesley, you know. Generally speaking, when Wesley got a chance and you thought he should bury that, generally speaking, he did. I mean, that, that is the conclusion when, you know, when you take into consideration all, all of those players I've just mentioned and, and their average of uh, how many minutes it takes for a, a shot on target, that suggests there's a, th- you know, there's a thread there. And it's like they, the midfield isn't set up to give them chances, create chances for them. They, all they're doing is trying to get on the end of a set piece. That's about it. They're limited in open play. Absolutely. And, and but you know, I think if because we, we, we are set up as a 4 3 3, it would suggest you are playing, in essence, three strikers. So as long as Grealish or Trezeguet or El Ghazi or whoever who is meant to be bombing on is committing in the final third, you you will get away with your striker not lit, no scoring as long as he's leading the line. But the fact that the, but the fact that they're not getting chances that's more of a worry, or not even in the position to get chances. Oh, just 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 as, I, don't, I don't want to go into too much detail on it because it's it's all sort of speculation. But and I know the players are very very different. But you look at the how Man United set up their front line. I was just about to mention them. Yeah, and and essentially they're attacking with four strikers. Maybe you could arguably say a couple of them are attacking midfielders, but all be very offensively minded who took in. You know, we, we're not playing a dissimilar system, and I, and I know the players in terms of quality and capability are different. But you've got you've got to be able to flip between two styles that that tight knit defensive unit that can then break. I mean, Man United really are a very effective counter-attacking team when you look what they did at, at Villa Park. But you've, then you've got to be looking across. It takes the burden off just to Samata because you say to the right and left, you know, in an ideal world, that's, I don't know, Al Ghazi, Grealish, plus, plus Hurahan, say, for instance. But they've all got to contribute in their own way, creativity and goals. You're right. When they attack, it's almost like they, they're not... It's a bit like Barcelona did as well. Uh, their midfield is almost like strikers once they're yeah. on the attack and they can interchange yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's difficult to kind of mark and formulate a plan to defend against. I, I kind of... I mean, this is kind of a segue in, but I was... If you could have given a brace to anybody to boost their confidence, <laughs> uh, I would have given it to Samata. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Trezeguet, uh, as we've mentioned... Uh, I mean, interestingly, he, he decided against Al Ghazi. I thought he would play Al Ghazi above Trezeguet, but Smith seems to uh, see something in Trezeguet. I think he likes Trezeguet's work ethic. I think. Yeah, 
El Ghazi is as as all of the capability with it, but he's woefully inconsistent and um, moody. Is that is that the wrong word? Yeah, Trezeguet gay is not the most. Uh, he, 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 he doesn't have all of the attributes that you would want nearly as consistently enough in terms of quality, but he does try hard. And I'm not a huge fan of picking players purely on the basis of trying. And I was I was surprised to see him on the team sheet. I I, I really was scratching my head as the first half went on. I must they admit. were most most fans, weren't they? You know. Um, but to be fair to the guy, he does get into dangerous positions. It doesn't always come off. And I, I forget the game where he had a, a chance. That it might have been Newcastle away. Where yeah. there was a, a far far post ball that he, he volleyed yeah. over quite early, and Grealish had a similar miss actually against. He had a couple of chances, I think, Trezeguet in that game. Yeah, um, but he does get into dangerous positions. I think he's he's if he doesn't have to run into that space because he doesn't have the space at uh, the pace. Sorry, he can't beat players at this level. Um, but he does know where the net is. He has scored. You know, I think back to the Leicester game in the cup. He has scored goals that are important. Yeah, I think the big, big thing was scoring that goal straight, pretty much straight after half time yeah. or a good, good few minutes, and that that did almost like lock in the game as a potential win all of a sudden because yeah. we're you know yeah. we're so used to uh, giving games away from winning positions. Yeah, and- both goals were absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely key moments really and well taken you know the second one particularly they were, they were great finishes mm. because we've struggled with open play goals and mm. uh, the only way Trezeguet is going to score is uh, you know from open play is like getting him in getting him you know running off the, the wing onto the back post mm. or back stick uh, defence wise uh, I thought Reina was solid no no problems there mm. he's, he's he's what you'd want him to be you know composed Mings Mings had a, a better game than uh, the la- well since the restart. Probably his best game since the restart. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think interesting just to mention Lincoln Taylor as well before he went off. He he actually made quite an important. Mings got beaten early on. Yeah, and Taylor made a very important interception um, as he has done. And, and I don't. I have to say I know there's a, there's a we're like any club. We're desperate for scapegoats. I don't think Taylor's performed particularly badly at all. And perhaps healthy competition for Target, who does seem a little bit injury prone. Um, yeah, no. Taylor, Taylor's had a good restart. Mm, all in. Mm. Conza, I'm I'm less sure about. To be honest, I don't know whether that's inexperience. Um, sometimes it just feels like his positionals positioning's a, a bit out. Uh, but then he has been playing right back for. With Conza, I, I want to know if he's got the grit, if he's if he can yeah. battle as a centre back, if he can go through a hard ninety minutes against a pain in the ass centre forward. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought Benteke made Mings's day a lot easier because uh, it was just a physical battle, and Benteke is a shade of what he used to be. So Mings had an easier game. I mean, something a bit nimble who drops off or you know has a bit more movement. That's when Mings gets caught deep and uh, allows space in front of. That's it. a good point, actually. I mean, there's a not even as a neutral, but it's a contest. If you were to say, right, oh, I want to see how Benteke and Tyro Mings get on over 90 minutes, that, that should have been a real, uh, you know, a really interesting battle. Uh, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I think it's really depressing, actually, to watch Benteke in, in that kind of disinterested, because um, yeah. you know what his capability was, that he, he was a, a, had the potential to be a top, top striker. and Funny what money does to you. Well... You know, I wish, I wish, yeah, I, I mean, I'd have a go myself, but <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you, I mean, at the end of the day, it benefited us, but, you know, there were people clamoring to get a Benteki back on loan um, not so long ago. Uh, you, you wouldn't touch him. 
He was probably being pushed our way as well. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was uh, it was probably a bit of a lifesaver that he actually got sent off after the game, considering how we've struggled against ten men all season. <laughs> is, that, is that another uh, another record that we've put to bed? So if officially we've beaten ten men, finally. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> something you can. No, like, I thought um, latch on there. Yeah, I, th- I thought defensively as a unit we certainly played better. Mm. Um, I think, you know, their best player in Zaha was very, very quiet and was shackled by Al Mohamedi yeah, superbly. And obviously Ayu, who everybody had pinned on to score, was barely in the game. Yeah, I forgot he was uh, playing. Louise actually. had another good game. I think we, we 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 were much better in the transition where we'd win the ball back and play. And I think we've probably got another gear to go in through that. I think Palace probably made it easier than it, it could have been to play against. Well, I think our gear, to, our missing gear at the moment is McGinn. Yes, you know that's yeah. the he had, he had little flashes again and you just i'm i just hope in the last 3 games that our big players finally get their legs and they come to the party because if they do mm. then we've got a chance you know Grealish hasn't come to the party yet McGinn no, really. hasn't yet either. Yeah, they always say you need like six or so games to get up and running. So we're we're past yeah. that mark now. So uh, we should be um, uh, in business. Uh, yeah. And and fine finally defensively i'd just say one thing we'd We'd commented on a few times, and one thing that Man United and a couple of other teams did superbly against us, you look at the foul count yeah. on in Sunday's game, and I think we were about even, we had about 21, and lots of niggly little, you know, sort of shit house. I mean, I know the fact that Louise got booked quite late on for an accumulation mm. is exactly how you want him to play. Because mm. we just took loads of momentum away from Palace, and we haven't done that enough. You know, we've been so stupid in games where you think just, just, just pull the guy's shirt. He's in his own half, but they're going to get away. Take the foul, and we didn't. Yeah, yeah we, that's something we we earmarked in the last few podcasts. So obviously, the Smith has been listening and uh, told them to get nasty. You know, my philosophy is pretty simple in terms of the, the relegation battle. Is we're on to the next game, and that's all we should really talk about. Because if you don't beat Everton, everything else is hypothetical. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, as I, as I said earlier on, it's like the Premier League staying up cup. You, you've just got to, it's like knockout football, really. We've got mm. to beat Everton. And uh, if we get a draw, then as I said, the matches, if it's a draw after 90 minutes, then it'll be decided. Premier League status will be decided by 46 games in the championship. We've just got to keep winning. I mean, ultimately, yeah, there's, there's so many permutations that can happen. But if you win your next three, if you win your next three games, you'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It's a very Should, simple equation. I mean, it's, it's just at the moment we are playing relegation catch-up. Yep. yep. Uh, if you beat Everton, we know that West Ham playing Watford. So you start to peg it back. Then both West Ham and Watford have got games against the Manchester clubs. So if you've got three points in the bag from the Everton game, you'll be better off after everybody else has played and in that cycle of games than we are now. And then uh, if you can manage to beat Arsenal then uh, it's fucking happy days I think (laughs) (laughs) going into the last game uh, it'll be all you know all four horses I think going around the bend uh, for the last game of the season or the four horsemen or the four horsemen exactly (laughs) (laughs) but yes I mean we can can talk about permutations till the cows come home but I think you just got to focus totally about beating Everton we've got to get through Thursday in good shape to have any hope hope to me that's the easiest easiest of the three games uh, in all probability, I think a lot hinges as well on Friday's game with uh, Watford and um, West Ham. Yeah, I, I agree because it could it it it, it makes our final game. Uh, well, it's it's where the emphasis lies, isn't it? Really, I know, and I absolutely agree with what what what's been said here. And I think across the the sensible part of the Villaverse, 
or we can do is systematically go game to game winning and um the combination of games does allow for us to get out but if you don't win games you might as well we might as well you know plan our trip to Wick- Wickham now anyway enough of relegation <laughs> let's get <laughs> into I'll, I'll finish on on a, on oh, a, on no. a positive go back note. to your kazoo music chris <laughs> <laughs> cue, you know, cue we, the kazoo. We, 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 we go obviously into Everton in in a sense of that. Well, we've got a bit of positivity, and Everton. It's probably a good time to play them. I also think it's potentially a really good time to play Arsenal after them as well. Oh, you're talking about another game. Oh, We're talking about Everton. Yeah. Because I just look at if you can get a result against Everton, Arsenal have got an FA Cup yeah, semi final. Cardinal sin, Cardinal Chris Bud, sin, Crystal Ball, Cardinal yeah. sin. He's looking beyond the prize. Right then, everybody. Uh, Thanks very much for listening to the edited version of this podcast, which is far superior to the actual uh, <laughs> live recording. Uh, <laughs> please do uh, sign up as a patron if you uh, can support the show in these difficult times. Not only is there COVID, but there's potential championship as well in this. Uh, it, it, you do see a lot, as soon as you go in the Premier League, there's a lot more people interested in Aston Villa. Yep. It's uh, People uh, are very fickle in their interest. There's, uh, there's obviously layers to the uh, the fan base. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast as well on uh, Spotify and iTunes so you do get notifications for when the show drops. And uh, onward to the next game, to Goodison, where it's do or die time. Hopefully, it, it, we're at the stage where we're just keeping the season alive. And uh, I think if we win the, against Everton, then it, it, it stays alive, I think, to the end. And that's what we want. Must win. Must win. Say it, Chris. Must win. Mustn't lose. Must <laughs> win. <laughs> Mustn't God. lose. Put that on the t- motivational T-shirt. There Fucking we go. Fucking hell. <laughs> right, lads. Ten at, ten at the back, lads. If we draw that, we're, we're fucked. That's what I'm saying. Full stop. Must win. Say it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> This is your therapy, Mr. Bud. Yeah, must win, Bud. Must win. You're saying, you're saying mustn't lose? Mathematically, yeah. If Watford lose, I'm, I'm through with draw. this. I'm, I'm, through this. This I'm off to support Wickham. Yeah. Ciao. Nice little ground, that one. This is the easiest of our three tasks. West Ham will be bang up for it on their home patch. Arsenal, well, you know, good but luck I'm with that I'm hoping West Ham will be on the beach by then. Arsenal always tricky at our ground. Yeah. So we are uh, due a scalp. We are due a scalp after what was it? One point out we? of a possible fifty-two oh. against the top ten. So anyway, back or back to that Everton. Back to that Everton game. Must win, Dan. Yeah, must win. Must oh, win one hundred percent. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we he go. wants in there. Thirty ones in. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> It is one in the morning after all. Right then, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Thank you to everybody who joins us in Match Club uh, over the last uh, few weeks. And until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.